Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Murray Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. You can get this fine program along with all the fantastic reality TV content by subscribing to robhasawebsite.com slash feed. That's R-H-A-P-U-P-S. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our personal feed by going to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays. And if you've already subscribed, thank you very, very much. We have some true crime news, a bit of a wrap up from the last few weeks. Listeners may remember that we covered Vatican Girl in episode 32. In January, a few months after the documentary series was released, the Vatican announced it would open an investigation into the disappearance of 15-year-old Emanuela Orlandi. Emanuela was a citizen of the Vatican but disappeared in Rome in 1983. Last week, the Vatican announced it had uncovered new leads, quote, worthy of further investigation. And Rome prosecutors have also reopened the case. Italy's parliament may open a formal investigation. So we will keep our eye on that and let you know as we get more news. And you have some news for us, Mary. Yes. 
At the end of June, we learned that the armorer on the movie Rust is now being charged with evidence tampering in addition to an involuntary manslaughter in the death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Prosecutors in the case allege that Hannah Gutierrez-Reed handed off a bag of cocaine to another person in an attempt to conceal it from authorities after Hutchins was killed and director Joel Souza was wounded by a live round on the set of Rust. You'll remember that Alec Baldwin was initially charged with involuntary manslaughter, though those charges were later dropped. Prosecutors claimed that the handoff was to conceal evidence directly related to Gutierrez Reed's handling of the firearm. Sarah, what did we watch this week? We watched Burden of Proof. It's a four-part docuseries on Max. It was produced and directed by Cynthia Hill. Uh, She also directed What Happened to Brittany Murphy and Private Violence, which I'll talk about uh, in my recommendations. But we cannot take up this burden alone. He last joined us for Vatican Girl, which makes him crime scenes unsolved missing girl (laughs) case expert. (laughs) It's novelist and host of Strange Arrivals, Toby Ball. Welcome back, Toby. Thank you. It's great to be here. So glad to have you back, Toby. And uh, we have you looking for another girl. Yeah. Look at that. With the same success. success We'll see if third time's a charm. We'll find we'll find a missing girl. Next <laughs> That's <time>. right. <laughs> we know that some listeners wait for our podcast uh, before deciding whether to watch a documentary or not, and that pleases and flatters us. But this is a huge spoiler warning for anyone who intends to watch Burden of Proof. In order to enjoy it, you should be unspoiled. But in order to discuss the docu series fully, we'll be spoiling major plot points. Major. So before we go any further, I'm going to ask for recommend or not from our guest and my co-host, Mari. So Toby, recommend or not? Yeah, I I recommend. Mari, what about you? I recommend as well. Yeah, me too. So that's three recommends. So if you are intending to watch it or you're intrigued by what I've just said, uh, hop off now, watch Burden of Proof, come back, be amazed and come back. (laughs) All right, so to the crime and more so to the docuseries itself. In 1987, 15-year-old Jennifer Pandos went missing from her bedroom overnight after an argument with her father. Her parents waited three days before calling the police, saying they were instructed not to by a note left on her bed. It was months before some family members, including her aunts and grandparents, were told about Jennifer's disappearance and, in fact, at a family wedding seven years later, Many people were still unaware that Jennifer was missing. Hmm. In 2014, Jennifer's brother Stephen, who had been at college at the time of her disappearance, began investigating. Law enforcement believed Jennifer and Stephen's parents, Ron and Margie, were involved, at the very least withholding knowledge of the event, and Stephen also believed this. Completely estranged from his father and partially from his mother, Stephen has worked continuously to find out what happened to Jennifer, including hiring private investigators, handwriting analysts and profilers. For the last seven years, Cynthia Hill has been following Stephen's efforts to solve the mystery and this docuseries is the result. So it seems to me that this series is less about what happened to Jennifer and more about what happened to Stephen 
I think it's important to say that no one's been charged with any crimes in connection with Jennifer's disappearance. We may make statements of opinion, but they're opinions only. The case remains unsolved officially. Toby, what were your overall thoughts before we dive a bit deeper? So it sort of moves along at a leisurely pace. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's not super fast. It actually, in uh, sort of strange decision by the uh, director starts extremely, extremely slow and picks Uh up afterwards. But the, you know, the very beginning, I guess we'll talk, maybe talk later about the recreations. So I, I think you got to kind of stick with it uh, because it becomes more interesting as it goes along, I would say. And by the end, I feel as though even looking back at, at some of the times when it was sort of like, can you move this along a little bit? Uh, I think the payoff at the end, you know, I I think it's got some interesting things to say about families, about how assumptions that you make that you don't sort of reassess as time goes on can really have like these incredible effects on your life. So the whole package, I think, is, is effective, but sometimes the pieces, you know, you wish they could have maybe been a little more economical, I guess, in their storytelling. But for the most part, I I, I thought it was good. Uh, Mari, what are your overall thoughts? And, and get us started on these wretched reenactments. <laughs> uh, I I actually completely agree with Toby. It made me. Is it weird to say that this this docu series made me like really like stop and realize how far my uh, true crime property intake has come does that make sense so yes as i was watching this docuseries and it was slow like toby said i found myself like oh my god can we get to some good action you know but then as i was watching and even at the points i was thinking about that i was like wait a minute these were this was like the slow burns that i used to like i used to really love this type of procedural narrative the talking to different people putting the pieces together that was my bread and butter before we started crime scene. You know what I'm saying? And now that I've I've seen so many true crime properties almost, and especially with the latest boom of it over like the past, you know, three years or so in the sense of the Tiger King mold, I realized how we've slowly been kind of incepted to like this flashy, twist heavy type of style of true crime documentary or docuseries or, or you know, scandalous topics you know what i'm saying like I, I i realized as i'm watching this i'm like wait a minute this is like true and guess investigative journalism in a sense and investigative reporting and really like trying to d- dive deep into a case that's unsolved and i'm sitting here wondering why i'm not more entertained and it, it really made me think about that so I say all that to say that it really brought me back to my true crime roots. I did enjoy them talking to several people. And I just kind of love it when they accidentally talk to somebody who might have did it. Like, like <laughs> as opposed to talking to somebody who you think did it. And you're like, oh, why are we hearing from it, it was very much giving me, you know, the jinx vibes, but the opposite. I call I was calling it the anti-jinx in my head. Like, <laughs> but by the like the in the twist in or whatever but I, I found it pretty good you know I, I found it definitely like almost a return to like old school true crime storytelling uh but yes the reenactments were just egregious like I didn't need it I mean 
was the director trying to be Steven Spielberg with those reenactments? <laughs> like it was, you know, I don't know. It was very like art housey. I don't know. It was uh, it was okay, but it wasn't really needed. I, I felt like it, it helped to pad, uh, you know, pad it out to the four episodes. I, I could have done without a good chunk of yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, we've we've talked recently, you know, quite a few times about reenactments that we have appreciated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a year or so ago when we started, we were blanket anti-reenactment. I think mm-hmm. that's become our... Views on it have become a bit more refined than just a blanket ante. So we have recently seen and praised some reenactments. Here, I, I, again, I very much liked this uh, docu series. I think part of the pace of it comes from seven years of material, mm-hmm. but even more so, how are we to see Stephen's real-time sort of revelation, change, questioning and coming to an understanding that for all those years he had known, absolutely known in his bones, that his father killed his daughter, killed his sister and that his mother knew and either helped to cover it up or didn't say. Mm-hmm. And this is something that he knew in the very fibre of his being. And it turns out potentially not to be the case. So yeah. the the pace of it allows us to follow along with Stephen's, I won't say horror because he doesn't express it as horror, but we can imagine what that kind of revolution in thinking. And as you say, Toby, we decide something about a person or our family or a situation and it's very hard to, to change that. The reenactments for me were... In inside this great docu series, mm-hmm. were so egregious, particularly because they had dialogue. Please don't give me dialogue. The only thing I can get behind was the young actress playing Jennifer, mm-hmm. reading her poetry, reading her journals. I thought that was charming. I could have done without her looking at us conspiratorially, mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall into the camera. But having that youthful voice remembering, like rather than either reading it ourselves or having an adult read it, having a 15-year-old read the thoughts and wishes and feelings and way of writing of a 15-year-old, I thought that part of it was was effective. While we've started talking about the parents, Toby, the judgment on Ron and Margie's actions because their behaviour was suspicious, they're so unexplainable in a way, if they didn't do it, what? Talk a little about that, about their behaviors and actions not being as people expect them to be. Yeah, so I, it's interesting because it's a little different than usual. Like, there's certainly been a lot of true crime stuff where a person who, in the spur of the moment, reacts in a way you don't expect, like in in a moment of trauma or high stress or whatever, they're either too calm or they're too emotional or or what uh-huh. they they don't sort of conform to our expectations, which I assume mostly come from movies and TV shows and, and aren't reflective of, of real life and the way real people uh, react. What's different in this case is that it's not like an initial reaction. It's, it's like activity that they continue for, for days and then years, you know, initially where they get the letter and it says, go to work like you normally do. Don't call the police and put some money in my bank account. 
and they they do two of the three right as they mm-hmm. they they go through and then afterwards people are like you didn't call the police you didn't and i i think their their thought process is well she's run away before yeah uh and rather than give her a reason not to come back we'll just do what she says and and, and just assume she'll be back in two or three days and then it'll it'll all be I'll be gone, but then she doesn't come back. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the whole thing about not telling people in your family for seven years, that to me, I can't like, I, that is not understandable to me. I don't think it necessarily means that they should be suspected of anything. Like Uh if anything, you would think that they would, if they're going with the she wandered away, you'd be wanting to tell everybody that you know. It's like, oh my God, she disappeared. We don't know what happened. Rather than make it seem like you're covering it up. It, that doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense to me. But um, apparently that just fed into people's um, suspicions. So it's it's definitely strange. But in the shorter term, I think it's understandable. And in the longer term, I don't think it's understandable, but I don't think it's necessarily evidence that they've done something nefarious. Yeah, I, if you ask me, I think when when you take in the full picture, then some of the parents' actions tend to become more not reasonable, not logical, but and not understandable. Like I, I agree, but understanding as my thought process is like I oh I could see them dealing with it like that because once um in like what episode two or episode three when they start talking about Jennifer's um relationship with Tony her abortion like her her getting pregnant her getting abortion talking about how I I'm from like Virginia I I know I'm not from that area I'm definitely not from like Southern Virginia the Norfolk Williamsburg Virginia area but I do know and I'm and I'm DC, Maryland, Virginia area, should I say, but I know these areas is what I'm saying. And what they were saying about Williamsburg, Virginia being a very small community, it being a gated community, this being like, you know, this is supposed to be that, and it's the eighties. It's one of those things where it's like, we are, uh, we're, we're, probably like upper middle class, we are pre- presenting some ideals. We don't want the outside world to know that there's things going on. So Jennifer getting pregnant and having to have that abortion, it it was an embarrassment to her her father, I would say. I would say that from what we heard about the situation, her parents it took that very hard. Her father clearly has some issues uh surrounding abuse, domestic violence and stuff like that. If we if Steven is to believe, be believed and I, and I believe him. I think that's one of the main reasons why he felt so strongly in himself that his dad does something because like he said, his dad beat him. So this is not far-fetched. I think you you see what I'm saying? Like it's when you have all of these little things that kind of add up, I could see why Steven could automatically think it's the dad. When the, when she gets, like I said, she gets pregnant, they have the abortion. The dad is now like on her constantly trying to now control her life. And then I could see that being the reason she ends up being lured out of the house and they get this note there again, 
she is, she's run away before. So they're like, okay, hopefully she'll just come back. We had a fight. She'll come back. It's just like any other time she'll come back. She did not come back. And I think the embarrassment of it all is one of the reasons why they, they weren't like, oh yeah, she, she ran away. She ran off with some guy or, or, oh, she, she could be murdered. Like, I think they really just wanted to keep everything under wraps even to their family members. Like that's what it, that's what it truly sounded like. And that sounds like peak eighties behavior. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we are going peak to pretend. Middle class. Yes. Middle we're class. Gonna... <laughs> what, what are people going to think of, of us? Exactly. I mean, the runaway idea for me initially was, but, but why then when it's revealed later that she had run away before, I mm-hmm. thought, ah, that makes sense. It's that the same as a little bit, the same as with the Natalia Grace uh, episode that we talked about. Mm-hmm. If they did it, these behaviors, if they didn't do it, these behaviors, and you're, it's like your eye going in and out of focus on one of those stupid <laughs> 3D magic eye things. <laughs> if they did it, they're sort of bad criminals because they didn't, that they should have told everybody she was missing and put up the flyers and done all those sorts of things. If they didn't do it, it's extraordinary what Margie their mother has has been through, first of all, mm-hmm. to have what we understand as an abusive husband from whom she's now divorced, mm-hmm. and then to have her daughter gone, to have her son believe that she had something to do with it, and her sisters, all of whom have names starting with M except for Susan, so I don't know what, don't know what happened for Susan, <laughs> but all the sisters believe she, she knows something as well. So to be so marginalised from your family, mm-hmm. to be so judged one of the great things i think that that this director does is she gives us quite early in the in the series the interrogation of margie mm-hmm. and you're sitting there going come on you clearly know something right. your behavior is so odd your behavior is so restrained and denial and you're speaking so strangely and even her hand gestures were strange when she put her hands to her face it was almost actorly then when we find out it almost certainly wasn't her, mm-hmm. they show us it again and you realise your own prejudices because you were told she had something to do with it and you believed it. You read that into that interrogation. And here's the thing about law enforcement, which I think we should talk about their bungling of the case. Law enforcement basically told Stephen it was his parents <laughs> and he believed it. All those years, <laughs> yeah. All those years. Um, so law enforcement in this case, Mari, what was your impression? It seems like the case was never quite picked up and then it was picked up and dropped and picked up again. There was a missing case file. There's polygraphs. What's going on with the law enforcement side? I'm I'm so confused how that original case even was handled. It It seemed like, one, they never processed her as a missing person. I think just because the parents story was so fishy from jump that they just automatically keyed on keyed in onto the parents like you know like th- three days before it, in, it, it takes you three days to report her missing that's very um suspicious but they clearly didn't follow up follow up with any other leads i'm i, I don't understand what they did in that initial in that initial um police investigation honestly toby do you know what they did (laughs) because other than lose the file i have no clue yeah i mean i think it 
<laughs> so it's like this whole litany of like horrible forensic uh, practices. I think there's like handwriting analysis when the person is clearly like writing with their offhand and it's like, right. How are you going to figure that out? There's Mm -hmm. regression hypnosis, there's profiling. And I think that that's like the key thing is when this guy profiling it, like points to the parents. And then when they confront him later, I mean, they don't even confront him. They're just kind of talking to him about it later. It's like, well, I probably should have said somebody who knows her well, instead of the parent. It's like, Oh, you think like you've got one job, dude, and it's to accurately (laughs) express what your profile is. And if you can't get that right, like you're not very good. So, you know, you figure if this guy had just like thought it through a little bit more about what are you going to be presenting? You know, this whole thing might have not gotten to the level that it did. So, you know, I again, I mean, you said it's like a perfect 80s thing like this feels like like the worst possible investigation stuff of you know I, I not all of it was happening in the 80s i think some of it happened a little bit yeah, later but it's all these forensic things that we now know that you really can't put that much stake you know stake in, in. Yeah. i mean you certainly mm-hmm. can't convict people or 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 limit your investigations to people who you know, are, are, are sort of found like regression hypnosis. My God, that means nothing, you know? (laughs) And the the regression hypnosis was in 2009 and 2016. I think that was pretty recent. Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong. In 1987, the main thing that they went on was the polygraph test, right? That uh, they said that Margie failed and And Ron failed. And, and yeah. And which, uh, and even in the first episode, when they said that, I was like, you know, I could hear your eyes rolling. You can't go over on this side of the hemisphere. Everybody knows you can't go off polygraph yes. information. Like I was like, okay, and and then like, oh, that's it. That's all we got. Like, yeah, uh, I, it, it's always surprising to me that while it's not admissible in court, it seems like police put a fair amount of trust in it, so that right. even if we can't use it in court, we can use it to direct our investigation. Yeah, I think they can use it to get warrants. I think they can at least use it to get probable cause for warrants. So, but what was I mean? The the file was lost. Then the file was found. There's some strangeness about that because Wendy, who was one of the investigators from 2006 to 2009, it seemed like there was a 2006 2009 push on the case. Yeah, and then it was uh again handed over. But she talks about you know we looked thoroughly. But then, you know, I can look thoroughly in my room and can't find things that are right in front of my face. So that seemed a very strange byway of conspiracy that somehow the father had got hold of the file and it came back, which only makes sense if he did it. Yeah. It only makes sense if he did it. So we don't know what's in that initial file. We don't know that, that no car came through the gate because we don't know that the person on the gate was spoken to mm-hmm. and we found out that at the gate they would ring and say can this person come in mm-hmm. certainly if they rang jennifer she would have said yes so that's not an unknown car plus you could walk in it was a what was it not even a mile or it was a mile that's not very far mm-hmm. for a 15 year old to walk so the law enforcement puzzled me all the way through i liked the private investigators but even they were a little odd 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> the the military uh, interrogator, Toby. <laughs> yeah, I again. I, she at one point, I they're showing they show a film. I can't even remember who it was. Uh, oh yeah, she says did. Margie yep. says didn't and not did mm-hmm. not. And the profiler is like, oh well, that that sh- that probably shows she's telling the truth because you know whatever. And then later she's looking at a thing, and the person like specifically says did not. And she's like, well, I believe that there was. I was, I was like, what are you talking about? Like you've you literally only told us one thing that you were looking at, and then the person does the thing that you say would indicate mm-hmm. deception, and you say, well, she's probably telling the truth. So it doesn't feel like it's a super like scientific thing. It seems like you're kind of looking at them and, and making yeah. a determination based on things that are different than what you're telling us. But, you know, again, it's it's just these things, it, they're not proof, right? I mean, there's sort, exactly. sort of indications. Mm. Oh, I liked that the documentary presented without comment. I mean, there is an editorial eye. I think there is an opinion behind the camera. But a lot of this, Cynthia Hill just lets us see it and have our frustrations and have our questions. There are questions she can't answer. A major question that I want to know is how the current investigation turned towards the ex-boyfriend, Tony, not Toby. Not you. Uh, What in the file sent them there? What thinking sent them there? There seemed to be a moment where the current investigation shut Stephen out, which as right, we know, you got to go. Something's happening that he can't tell. He can't be told. There's a grand jury that they're not told about. The one-armed man turns up in a Trump hat. <laughs> I mean, these are huge changes in the investigation. Mm-hmm. We don't know because Cynthia Hill doesn't know because Stephen Panos doesn't know how that came about. But how what, how did this twist strike you, Toby? Yeah, I. <sighs> It's interesting because you don't really know, at least I, if if they talk about it, I didn't pick up on it. It's like, why did this even, why was this even happening while they were filming at this particular date? It just seems like, you know, they must have been, you know, filming for five years or something. And then suddenly there's yeah. this change. And I think it's kind of hinted at that it's pointing towards Tony, the boyfriend, yeah. um, although they don't like give you any reason, as you, as you were saying. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's what makes the that's what makes the show, right? I mean, otherwise, yes. it's just sort of, you know, whatever. It's like trying to pin down somebody who you think did it, and they they're being elusive. But then suddenly, with this, I mean, that's that's the moment where where Stephen has to kind of confront the fact that he's like spent a significant portion of his life, like kind of. You know, chasing the white whale of of getting his parents to uh, to confess to something that they did not do, and you know all the consequences, particularly I think for his mom, but for him as well. You know, I, I, it seems as though his life is is sort of half lived because he's obsessed with with resolving this, and yeah. So I, I mean, I think yeah. without that, it's it's just a completely different less interesting you know lesser 
thing and the fact that it happened and they didn't know it was happening they're already years into this project and then this you know in addition to sort of the shock of it of this case suddenly turning i mean the filmmakers must have been like all right so now we've got like a, this completely different project on our hands where instead of having this cathartic like we finally like nailed this guy or whatever it's you know it's more about you know family and assumptions that you make and regrets that you have and and how you know how do you i mean they don't get much into it but i think the big question is is like how do you come back from this as a family particularly between steven and his mom like how do you repair that because i think his dad's sort of like a whole he's off somewhere else well, his, his dad uh, is a convicted felon on his on no his matter what yeah. Wife, um, yeah. yeah beat Stephen with a golf club so i think you know, <laughs> yeah it's yeah Mary. so let me tell you what i think happened uh <laughs> excellent <laughs> so they found they found the original case file and the original case file kind of gives them more clue as to what his parents actually did back then. They, they, they're, you know, it was all hearsay of like, Oh, uh, the dad said he put up posters, but nobody said they saw the posters in the original police file. They have documented that there were posters in the original police file. They have documented that the parents contacted them several times. So in the original uh, police file, they did have some corroborate corroborated evidence that the parents were trying to say like, no, we did try and do this stuff. Y'all just don't kind of remember. And so that kind of t- takes the heat off the, the parents by, by episode two, when they were outlining what happened with Jennifer and her relationship with Tony and the whole abortion thing, I immediately was like, I didn't I couldn't predict what happened, but I was like, so why are we not suspecting Tony? Like, truly, I'm I'm not even kidding. Like, I think like halfway through episode two, I was like, did they give an alibi for Tony? Like, I was literally thinking to myself, I was like, how, why did they rule him out? And once the ball got rolling in episode three and episode four, I was like, OK, thank you, because that whole situation with Tony and like that is like some prime time 80s kids killing kids setup. Tony being two years older than than Jennifer. Tony being the new guy in school. Tony dating um what was the what was his girl? What Corey. Was Corey, yes. Dating Corey. And Tony and Corey breaking up only for a little bit for Tony to go with Jennifer to have sex with Jennifer. She gets pregnant. She gets an abortion. They break up. He goes back to Corey. That is like that is like some Grease one on one stuff. That is like the, while the, continuing to see Jennifer. Exactly. That is exactly that is the the woman that I actually love. Corey is not putting out. So I break up with her a little bit. I you know have sex with a a a, a, a freshman or sophomore who's younger than me take advantage of her. And then I move back on to the woman I married. Corey and Tony sitting there together, married. I was like, y'all, th- this doesn't seem sp- suspicious to y'all. <laughs> like, and then like, wasn't, Cor- was Corey the one that also took Jennifer to the other suspicious guy's house? I could have sworn they said that Corey. I think that was Sharon Rose. Oh no, Corey did say that they went Corey, to the other suspicious the guys. Other yeah. suspicious all, guys the, all the girls said he gave them alcohol. 
Exactly. I was almost, I, by the third episode, before they really started cracking with like Charlie May and all that, I was like, did Corey and Tony do it? I was getting, I was getting the Texas uh, cheerleader murder vibes at first. I was like, was this a whole kill her to prove your love for me type of thing? Because I do believe when Sharon said like the only person that would have gotten Jennifer out of that house would have been Tony. and. The later revelations of like them saying, oh, we need a we need Tony's hand samples. Do you guys got any hand sample samples from Tony? And then the mother finding a box of letters that I was 50, just like 50 letters that outlines like a clear motive for him, like letters from like February of what, 86 to past October um, of 87 up until two months before her disappearance and in one of the last letters they find she's threatening him I was like dog this is that was crazy that they were there to catch all of that I will say that Cynthia Hill did a amazing job being everywhere I was like how many crews does she have because you yeah. have a crew filming dad you have a crew filming Steven. I was like, oh man, she has people on staff. Like she was, she was getting both sides of the conversation. So I thought this was so interesting, but I still thought that it was just, it just comes down to bad police work because I don't understand how you don't investigate the boyfriend in 87. But if you're tunnel visioned on the parents, that's what happens. And by the time it's 20, 30 years plus down the road, they're like, they're all like, how can a 17-year-old kill somebody, uh, hide a body and not tell anybody? I'm like, easy if the police don't get to them quick enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, real easy. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why I, I, I was really surprised that it took finding the original case file. I'm pretty sure there was something in there that po- that definitely, definitely pointed towards Tony and, and Charlie. And honestly, I don't, I don't think it would have been something, a bombshell. I don't think it needed to be a bombshell. I think that should have been common sense. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I think you see it again and again that the police find a suspect that they like. And they latch on to it. And yeah. that leads to, I mean, it, I, I feel like there's like kind of parallels to the Adnan Syed case with mm-hmm. this and that. Again, it's like they they pick up on a suspect, they kind of lock in. And then what you were just saying about how could a 17-year-old kill like his his old girlfriend and like hide her and not tell anybody. It's like, well, you know, the guys in Baltimore sure, certainly seem to think that that one could. <laughs> Having already talked about this on on Crime Writers, it's interesting that this is this quite a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really thought so much about like so. This is these guys were like four years younger than me, maybe. And it does have a very eighties like this whole thing about like like all the teenagers going to this one dude who buys them beer. You know, I mean that that's that's a hundred percent like an eighties thing, mm-hmm. and he's. It's kind of creepy, and when you look back at it as an adult, you're like, oh, God, what the hell? But at the time, you're like, oh, man, this guy's going to hook us up, and and you don't really think about it. And so it's, it is this like weird little – I think it's hard in retrospect as adults to take a look at sort of the thought process of what kids are doing and the way they're perceiving yeah. like things that, that may be threats, uh, and that now, like, if my kids were, like, going and – buying beer getting some 50 year old guy down the street to buy beer for him i'd be like uh look <laughs> don't do that i think you know that simplicity of the girls all, always going together so there are always two or three girls there yeah. um whether they're actively thinking that they're safe in numbers certainly instinctually they're feeling that they're that they're safe i mean this is why i go back to liking the young actress reading Jennifer's words because you go oh yes she was 15 yeah she was 15 I think she left of her own accord I don't think she was compelled I think that she was killed accidentally I don't think anyone well yeah somebody murdered her uh, but I think it was accidental it looks like it was Tony alone or Tony and Charlie I was surprised when the cadaver dogs went into that huge wood and didn't alert on anything because I thought there's going to be five or six bodies back there anyway that aren't Jennifer surely they're going to I thought they were going to find some bodies Something, yeah. <laughs> yeah like they did when they were looking for Vanessa again and they found three other bodies instead of her right so I I feel that seems to be what makes sense but then we're only receiving it from the documentary so this is just my opinion 
where I get caught up and I think everybody seems to get caught up is the note. Mm-hmm. Who wrote the note? Who wrote the note, yeah. Well, either Jennifer wrote it with her non-dominant hand or it's very interesting because there was a woman called Lindy Chamberlain and she went <laughs> out back with her baby daughter, Azaria, and a dingo took that baby and that is fact. She was critiqued for her attitude. She wasn't grieving enough. She was strange. She was cold. And the whole of Australia was completely convinced that she did it. She did not do it. Both she and her husband spent time in jail. They did not do it. And I directed, I'm sorry, this is going on a bit of a discursion, but I directed an opera, uh, which I called Full Matinee Jacket, but was actually called Lindy, about the case. And I read Evil Angels, which I had not read before. And in it, there was one tiny thing that broke open for me why I knew Lindy wasn't guilty. And that is that she went, she, there was a zipped tent. She unzipped that the, the children were in. She unzipped the tent to get a can of baked beans for her older son. And she didn't zip it back up again. And for me, it was like, ah, oh, that's, that's her grief. That is her guilt. So, yes, she's guilty because in her own mind she's guilty for having unzipped the tent that her baby was in, allowing access for the dingo. And so then when I come back to my point, and I do have one, yeah. when I come back to Margie and her strange, it looks like she's hiding something. I think she was hiding the abuse of her husband. Um, and I think it's entirely possible that he made her write the note. Uh-huh. That's just me. Mari, what did you what do you think happened? Yeah, I, I actually went through a few things as well. My first thought was that Jennifer did leave like on her under her own power. She was lured away. I think that the parents were like, OK, she ran away again. She'll come back. It'll be fine. When she didn't come back, they were like, oh, crap, <laughs> she's not coming back. We now have to, we want to report it to the police, but what are we going to say as to why it's taken us three days? And it's like, okay, he gets her to dictate the note. They do the oh, note. Oh, you thought that too? I did. Ah. I did. I did. I thought that like, do you dictate, dictate the note? Be like. Margie oh, does um, use the word dictated. The note was dictated, she says at one point. And I exactly. leapt up in my chair and nobody jumped on her for it. Exactly. And I, I think they dictated the note just so, just to give them like some wiggle room as to why they weren't scared, like why they didn't do it sooner. Um, But I don't think that they imagined that it would get this far. I I think I agree with you wholeheartedly, Sarah. I do think it was Tony. I I think Tony was afraid that Jennifer was going to tell Corey that they were still sleeping together after um, him and Corey got back together, at least for a few months after, like for a while after they were still sleeping together. And so, I believe that wholeheartedly. I I, I believe Tony kill, killed her. I think that, okay, wait, well, I shouldn't say that. Allegedly, allegedly. In my opinion, <laughs> no, you just have to say in my opinion. In my opinion, I think he could have, he could have killed her but or accidentally killed her or whatever. And that her body was, they said, he said something about like in the back of the trailers, he was from a trailer park. Tra- trailer parks, as far as I know, they have there's plenty of places you can kind of yeah. just yeah. get rid so, of things. And we don't know if that was ever searched. That nobody has ever mentioned searching anywhere around where 
his trailer, where his trailer used to be or anything like that. So I feel like she could be anywhere around there. Old construction sites. I don't even know what old, what the construction sites that they built back then would have been. They're probably full buildings by now. So there, there will probably not be a chance to find Jennifer's body, but this kind of feels like it was like a confluence of things. (laughs) that could have probably been an easy solve if they were on the right direction first but since they went off path and now it's 30 plus years later it's just not gonna happen toby what do you think are we we in the ballpark you think or uh well i've got i've got two answers one is i i think you know essentially what, what 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 both of you are talking about is that i mean my my thought was that the the thing that made most sense was that she leaves willingly with somebody, probably Tony uh, with the expectation that she's just, you know, running away for a few days and will come back. Yeah. But then the person she leaves with has, you know, a different plan. Right. Mm -hmm. And it may not be to end her life, but it may be to scare her or teach her a lesson. It goes wrong or whatever, but that, Mm -hmm. but that she left with a different, with a different plan in mind than what happened. Yeah. Um, looking to uh, pop literature as a guide to what happened. This is like, it, it reminds me of girl with a dragon tattoo mm. in that, you know, a girl goes missing. People are accused or whatever, but it turns out she just left. It just never came back. Mm-hmm. And you know, that that's, I guess it's on the table. Like nobody, like the what's the reason for not believing that happened? It's just because she never got in touch with anybody afterwards, right? Was there anything else? It's just like yeah. nobody can believe that that you can just disappear like that. But you know, particularly if the abuse is 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 bad enough, and it's clearly enough to convince Stephen that his father most likely did it, then maybe that's what she felt like she had to do. So I think that's like the best case scenario. And but it is interesting that. There's at least two, two detective novels that I know of that are basically this setup. Mm-hmm. And it turns out like she's living in Australia or New Zealand or something and has a whole new uh, life. And yeah, she's over there with Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Down here with me. Yep. yep. I mean, we do hear of people missing. They can't possibly be missing. They must be dead. And they do turn up very rare. And yeah. I think a 15 year old girl. That took nothing. With how her. do you? Yeah, that took nothing. Well, did she, or is oh, that yeah, the family know. story? Yeah. You know, yeah. is that the family story that I'm not? I'm not saying that they're lying, but this idea of she took nothing with her. Did you list with a photo? I mean, we don't mm-hmm. actually know if she took nothing with her. That might have been something that was said, sort of three days later. But nonetheless, if she is still alive, then she was an extremely resourceful fifteen-year-old. Uh, yeah. And I and I think fifteen-year-olds who run away outcomes vary, right? You know, outcomes vary. Also, there's not a lot of forward planning. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting yourself to a certain extent, the mercy of who you run into. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Thank you, Toby, for bringing that up. Cause that also made me think of, um, there was a story, I think on my favorite murder, when they were talking about how a, somebody looking at unidentified dead bodies in like, Kentucky solved a murder from Ohio like I was wondering had they checked any like unidentified uh, bodies that were found around in the surrounding areas 
could she have actually been found, but just unidentified sitting in some city or county morgue somewhere? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many, there's so many avenues to this case that we'll just never know because that uh, uh, initial police work just wasn't there and wasn't thorough enough. And even now, there, there's no conviction or no case brought up against who is now the main suspect, Tony, even though there's a grand jury uh, against them because they just don't have the evidence. They tried DNA testing the note and I was like, mm. okay, so many 40 people years, have so many people have touched it. You didn't even have it in your like original possession. It's just like... That was very odd. The original note was with the parents. The photocopy yeah. was in the police file. Very strange. I mean, we have to say we don't know that the grand jury was against Tony. Right. We, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. So let's wrap this up with our yeah. ratings. Uh, Toby, how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate burden of proof out of a possible five? It's a tough one. I guess I would say three and a half. I don't know if you do half magnifying glasses, yes, how that would even do. work. Um, <laughs> Just unscrew a, the handle. A bifocal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think... It's good. I, I think the pacing keeps it from being really good. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I understand the reasons for the pacing, the reenactments. There's just some weird decisions. I mean, we didn't even talk about this. I kind of felt like there's always the camera in these things, right? And there's always some amount of the camera changing the way things are, or, or you're being aware of the camera's presence. I felt the camera's presence very, very strongly in this in a way that I don't normally feel mm-hmm. it in documentaries. It just seemed more cameras waiting for people to walk indoors, uh, mm-hmm. cameras looking out uh, blinds at two people talking in a driveway that are mic'd up. I, it just, mm-hmm. it, that sort of like little bit of like artifice or whatever just seemed stronger to me in this one than it normally does and i you know and and that's obviously subjective but yeah i think three and a half is you know it it was good mari what about you how many magnifying glasses for you i completely agree i agree with toby i think 3.5 is where it perfectly should sit because it is very interesting it is it's the case is interesting the way that the the cameras are there to capture a lot of it unfolding was very interesting but there were some things that kind of were a little displeasing in a sense like i i i think cynthia hill did a great job overall however i thought like it was kind of like you know some of the recreations we 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 would see the same scene over again but it would be in a different way like oh this is how it would be if the dad accidentally hit her and she accidentally died this is what would have happened if she had actually left like it was i think it was trying to be like um thin blue line but it came off way cheesier you know what i'm saying nothing's thin blue line like yeah. exactly like it like it, it came off a little bit a little bit cheesier again it i thought it was cool but i was also like how are you doing this where you where literally it felt like like the cameras were everywhere they needed to be like toby said like almost like they were a part of the story and i like that they named it burden of proof because i feel like burden of proof is like maybe a triple entendre in this in this case in a sense like the burden of proof is placed on the prosecutors to prove that the defendant is guilty, right? There has to be 
a level of proof in order to find them guilty. I, I thought that was interesting a uh, name for it when it also could be used like uh Steven learning the like the burden the burden of proof that like it wasn't his his family, you know, like the burden of that and what he has done over the past 30 plus years or whatever, keeping his mom away from his family, I thought was very interesting. And then I also thought of it like, okay, so now that the police strongly think that it's a, a different suspect, this could kind of be used <laughs> like against, <laughs> like a, like used in that, that suspects like for them, because this is kind of like lobbing a, you know, a lot of, um, of a reasonable doubt in there, you know? So I, I thought that was, was genius as well. I, I, overall, I, I did enjoy the property. It was nowhere near what I thought it was going to be, but in a good way. So 3.5. How about you, Sarah? I, I'm going to give it a little high. I'm going to give it a four. I liked this very much. I like a slower paced thing. I liked that often it was Stephen interviewing a talking head rather than a talking head speaking to the camera or us hearing Cynthia's voice from behind the camera. And I really liked that. I thought that was very fresh. So it was more conversational. And Stephen's so invested in the story. It was interesting to have him as the interviewer. So I liked that a lot. I'm ignoring the reenactments because they were egregious. I mean, I would rip a different documentary to shreds for them. But there was so much that I liked about this. It was so thoughtful about Stephen himself. I think seven years of following someone who has a singular focus and a passion and a drive and us seeing him change uh, throughout it, like let alone having the absolute foundation of his belief system shattered, um, mm -hmm. as we see, was so good. So I, I also, it's not what I expected at all from the description. So I hope that you have already watched it, listeners, because we just completely spoiled it. It's probably still watchable. So a four from me. Yeah. Um, and to be quite honest, I'm sorry, Sarah, but like no. we keep saying twist, but it didn't feel like a twist. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, no. like uh, we talked Shift. about. Yeah, we t we talk about like like girl in the picture and um I I just killed my dad or something like that, how we felt like those felt like they were trying to spring a twist on you, like a, a manufactured twist. This was this. Yeah, it, it wasn't a, a, a twist. Like Sarah said, it's more it more is a, of a ship. They kind of just, again, lucked into them, like tripping over some really good evidence and falling yeah. up on it. So it, it didn't feel it didn't feel icky when it, the the suspicions turned. Definitely. Yeah, we didn't feel manipulated. By exactly. It. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. exactly. As I mentioned at the top, I, I would like to recommend Cynthia Hill's 2014 documentary. It's called Private Violence. Uh, this is absolute cinema verite. You can see the beginnings of her style that she's going to use in Burden of Proof. I think it works better in Private Violence. It's uh, following Kit Gruel, who is a victim advocate for victims and survivors of domestic violence. It's quite a hard watch. But she's a very interesting woman. She's a survivor herself. And we see her working with uh, three different uh, survivors, one in particular. It's insightful. It's harrowing. And I, I do recommend it. So watch Private Violence on Doc Play. 
It's a streamer I'd never heard of before, uh, but they currently have a 14-day free trial. So there's nothing like signing up, watching the thing you want and uh, cancelling. But, yes, thank you, Doc Play, for hosting Private Violence. It's an HBO documentary. It's also available on Tubi here in the U.S. Oh, it is a Tubi in the U.S. Okay. Uh-huh. Toby, what do you have to recommend to our listeners? Uh, so this isn't true crime and it's not for everyone, but this is a not very well-known podcast that I loved. It's called Alabama Astronaut. And uh, have either of you heard of it? I have through hearing you talk about oh, it. Oh, okay. hearing <laughs> you talk about it. Well, go figure. So what it's a podcast that follows two guys who are doing this podcast. There's the, there's the host and then there's a guy named Abe who is a former Baptist minister and he fell out with the faith or, or whatever. And he goes and he wants to document the music that is performed in uh, snake handling churches in Appalachia. It's interesting in the way it's put together. Like it's a little raw, I think, but I found it that to be very compelling. Uh, but it's essentially Abe going and, and going to these churches and he knows the vernacular and he's got this personality where he just kind of gets along with all these people and, and, and gets their trust and, and has a lot of regard for them. And he, he sort of talks about, you know, his uh, adventures isn't quite the word, but his experiences, things that he learns. And then he's recording this pretty incredible music that's being played to crowds of up to, you know, 20 people who are in the congregation of these churches in these like really long church services. So anyway, I would say the first, the first episode is not indicative of the rest of it, uh, but it's kind of like sort of sets out the mission statement. And then if you listen to like the first half of the second episode and it doesn't seem like your cup of tea, then I think it's safe to, uh, to bail on it. But there's a lot of people who really, really like it. And then there's a lot of people who are like, eh, you know, I don't see quite what you see in it. But that, anyway, that's my recommendation because I did really love it. It's called Alabama Astronaut. Nice. Mm. Mari, what do you have for us? Oh, I just had to uh, talk about <laughs> a few weeks ago, um, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star Season 8. Uh, the, uh, for their episode 7, they did a, a maxi challenge called uh, Forensic Queens, where they they tasked the queens to like star in like a... Um, forensic style like investigation it was so funny the season has been dragging i i can't even recommend the season to be quite honest like the season has been nuts but that episode a few weeks ago uh episode seven i think if you are a fan of of true crime and you like drag queens as well it is it was an amazing episode it basically kind of riffed on the true crime drama they gave each one of the queens a uh, character and it was all improv and it was like they they had suspects they had talking heads they had reenactments rupaul herself was in one of the reenactments which was hilarious they they caught the bad guy at the end of it it was so funny and i thought it was a great nod to uh, like true crime heads and i really hope they do that challenge again 
if you if you don't watch Drag Race at all, but you're a little bit interested, definitely go and check out this episode. Again, it's RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 8, Episode 7 called Forensic Queens. It's available available on Paramount+. Plus, and I really think they did us true crime heads uh, justice in it. So definitely go check it out. And that's on Stan in Australia. And I will absolutely co-sign that recommendation. I was on the floor. Jessica Wilde talking up. about guacamole. It was, yes. it was heaven, <laughs> absolute Cracking heaven. Up. So good, yeah. Uh, so something to 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 lift and lighten your your mood while also understanding that people get us. They get us. They get we like uh, watching true uh, true crime stuff. So very <laughs> funny. I also want to shout out another sister podcast of ours from the Rob Has a Podcast Network. Nothing but Netflix just recently covered. American Gladiators, the unauthorized story on Netflix. It was a five-part docuseries on Netflix that Rob Chappelle and our former guests, Grace Leader, expertly covered. Um, I, I just wanted to give them a shout out because it was such a good series to me. I finished watching it and I think their coverage on it was perfect. My two cents about the American Gladiator stories, I thought it was done really well. The five episodes were easy. Like the gang at NBN said, it was very light and fun. The only things that I would say that I didn't like about it was a lot of the repeating. I uh, uh, Nothing but Netflix went into it, but they did repeat some stuff. Like they'll show us a clip of something that was coming up. Then it would go to the next episode and we would see that clip again. So it was kind of confusing. Yeah, it's really good. And and um, Grace does an uh, excellent job representing for us wrestling fans, because as I was watching it, I was thinking this has this is such like what was going on with wrestling in the early late 80s, early 90s. So it, it was very good. I suggest not only do you go watch the American Gladiators docuseries, I also suggest you definitely go check out the nothing but Netflix coverage of it. They did an amazing job. At Crime Scene, we're eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP, that's Scene S E E N, or email us at Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. We're on TikTok at crime.scene and on Instagram and Facebook at Crime Scene Podcast. And please remember to subscribe to our feed by going to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. It makes a huge difference toby what do you have going on and where can the people find you uh you can find me on twitter at toby ball and h on mondays and thursdays i'm on crime writers on and i also just finished up with the third season of strange arrivals which is sort of a skeptics look at what at least i find interesting about like why people believe in ufos and you know, how UFOs sort of are digested in our culture, I guess. You know, why does why does everybody know what Area 51 is, for instance? <laughs> like how how did that come to be? Yeah, so that that that's those are my things. Thank you. Mari, what have you got going on? Where can the people find you? Of course you can find me on Twitter and uh Twitch at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two like the number two. 
You can find me every week with Matt Scott over on the Wrestling Rehap Up podcast, where we talk about the weird, wild, wacky world of professional wrestling. We have a big, big pay-per-view coming up, Money in the Bank. So we are talking with, we talked with the big boss man, Robert Cesarino and Chappelle about it. It's going to be like a great pay-per-view. So just go over there and check us out by going to robhasawebsite.com slash wrestling feed to subscribe. And that's it for me. What about you, Sarah? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. Over on Post Show Recaps, I chatted about the newest season of Black Mirror, if that's your bag. And if you're just catching up with Queen Charlotte or Love and Death, you can find my recaps of those series over there as well. Next time on Crime Scene, we're covering the first two episodes of Last Call, When a Serial Killer Stalked Queer New York. It's a four-part series dropping weekly on Max, so we're going to be bringing you our coverage of the first two episodes and we'll follow up with the second two once we've seen them. So you can watch it on Max and send us your comments and questions. Thank you to Toby Ball for joining us, Will from America for the theme music and the whole RHAP team behind the scenes. Until next time, case Case closed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.